Welcome to a new season of Retrain Your Brain with me, Dr. Audrey Tang. I'm a chartered psychologist and a trainer, and I specialize in giving you simple, accessible, practical tools to achieve everything you want out of life. And in this season, I am thrilled to introduce to you many guest experts whom I've had the pleasure of learning from, and I hope that you will benefit from their expertise too. Guest host Tim Dwelly and I are talking about relationships. Now, unfortunately, not all relationships are healthy ones. And joining us in the lounge tonight is Natrice Westwood of Northamptonshire Domestic Abuse Service. Welcome to the show, Natrice, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for having me. Now, to tell you a little bit more about the Northamptonshire Domestic Abuse Service, it's a charity offering help for anyone affected by domestic abuse in Northamptonshire. You could be a victim, a perpetrator, or a worried family member or friend, and their role is to offer non-judgmental, friendly, and practical support. They also offer refuge throughout Northampton and drop-in centres and advice, both virtually and in person. What's also very interesting and helpful is they offer support for men fleeing domestic abuse situations in their male refuge. And this refuge is one of only nine in the whole of the UK that is solely designed for male victims. And to give some background about domestic abuse, according to the Office of National Statistics in 2019, almost one in three women aged 16 to 59 will experience domestic abuse in her lifetime. Two women a week are killed by a current or former partner in England and Wales alone. And in the year ending March 2019, 1.6 million women experienced domestic abuse, but also one in three victims of domestic abuse are men, with men being three times less likely to say anything. And this is also a subject not often discussed, and that's why I'm so grateful Natrice is here tonight. So... Natrice, I know this is a really broad question, but what does domestic abuse look like? If we obviously go by the government definition of domestic abuse, just to give an overall picture, it is an incident or pattern of incidents of controlling, coercive, threatening behaviour. Violence or abuse between those aged 16 or over or who are or have been intimate partners or family members, regardless of gender or sexuality. So the abuse can encompass um, lots of different types, which obviously some of these are physical abuse, which I think a lot of people will be aware of. Mm. Uh, you have sexual abuse, financial abuse psychological and emotional abuse and controlling coercive behaviour. That is what the government definition of domestic abuse actually is. It's interesting that you mentioned those other elements of domestic abuse because we are more familiar with the physical. And one of the key questions, um, and I guess this comes from, okay, watching the Netflix drama Made, but if somebody says I'm not abused because they don't hit me, you're saying financial abuse, you're saying coercive control, those are really important things to look out for as well. Yes, definitely. So obviously physical abuse is just one type of abuse. Um, the financial, the psychological, the emotional abuse has just as much as a detrimental impact on a victim of domestic abuse as the physical side. Mm. Um, obviously it, it affects the victim's self-worth, uh, their confidence. It also alienates them uh, from uh, sources of support as well, which is quite a big one. So the controlling behaviour the, the, the perpetrator or the abuser, should I say, would isolate the victim from any support networks they have. They can't access any finances, so it makes it extremely difficult for that person to leave. And they're living, living in trauma um, all throughout the relationship, which also can also affect their mental health. 
things such as depression and anxiety is extremely um, common within victims of domestic abuse. It has long-term effects well after the abusive relationship finishes or after they decide to leave. So it, physical is just one side of the abuse that they experience. It's a whole range of abusive behaviours that can have a massive impact on the victim of domestic abuse. That's It's so horrible to, to even consider that people can treat others in that particular way. Why are people so afraid to come forwards? I think a lot of the time they're being told in that relationship that they're not going to be believed because I think um, abusers can be very charming when they're out um, around other people and they actually start questioning will people believe me that they're like this behind closed doors. Um, also there's the threats that happen within abusive relationships they may have been threatened with um, their secrets that they've, they've sort of um, divulged to their abuser in their relationship will be told to all their family and friends. They may have pictures that they say they're going to show to people threats about going to um if they've got children threats about reporting them for being an unfit parents you've got so many different threats are used and actually when you are um financially exploited as well you haven't got those means to actually leave and when you're being isolated from your support networks you've got nowhere to go potentially so it's lots of different things that stops people going forward because i think when they do they're worried about what they will do next and how they will get away from that relationship is there a difference between a planned leave and an emergency leave I think ultimately with a planned leave, you do have time to get all the documents you may need. You get if you've got um, things that you need to take with you from um, financial stuff, from uh, your children, such as birth certificates, your passport ID, which also makes it very um it makes it easier for you then to access all the different um, resources you need when you do leave. But also from a safety perspective, when it's a planned leave, you talk to advisors who will, will put in place a safety plan specific to your actual circumstances. And that will allow you to leave in a safer manner. A lot of the time when you leave um, with obviously nothing, obviously you come into refuge usually, and there will be support around where you will get, um, for instance, in our refuges, you will get things like crisis vouchers, where you will go and buy what you need if you haven't got anything this food bank provisions that we offer to anyone that's coming in you've got the emotional support then all the support around obviously all the different things you need to put in place in order to make yourself independent from that abuser so it is very different but I think the main thing about a planned move is the safety planning is is, is key really it's trying to keep that victim safe when they are actually leaving um, and also a planned way would be it's it's easier for the victim to leave but also for the children as well to go in a way that they know they're going to be safe. Of course so how might a planned leave look so for instance they might ring an advice line and talk about they're thinking about leaving their abuser so we talk about what things they need to get together so um things such as passports um documents anything that they need for the children a thing such as if they're taking clothes is packing bags gradually leaving a bag somewhere and taking bits out gradually as they're going out of the house so that the perpetrator isn't alerted to the fact that they're going to leave um, and then actually uh, arranging okay a time and a date when they will leave at the minute we've got um rail to refuge which is um put on where they can actually get a a a train ticket free to get to a refuge provision we can arrange to meet them obviously if they've got uh they can come to a car park near where we are and we will meet them and bring them in it's all very planned but also in a way that we make sure it's done where the abuser isn't aware that they're going to leave and when they do leave everything's in place to make that a lot safer for them that's really important because so often exactly as you've said the support network just isn't there and people feel really alone so they can just contact you get that advice and get that plan 
almost put into action quite quite quickly? Or can they also then just show up if they are so desperate that they need to to just come? At the minute, we obviously haven't got a front facing office, but if they ring, we will and they are urgent. We would go through an assessment process with them just to make sure that they are, you know, the refuge provision that we are have got is suitable for their needs, and then we would arrange to meet them. I think if you're ever in in, in, in a point where you need to leave immediately if you're in danger, I'd always recommend calling the police first and foremost. Um, the police will come out and they will help and support you to get into provisions such as refuge, but they will make sure you're safe as well. Um, so it, it is just making sure that above all else, your safety is priority when you are thinking about leaving a relationship. Yeah, that's that's very, very important. Of course, we will have all of your links on our Facebook page. Um, but when someone's left, so many return i've heard it takes a woman about seven attempts to leave an abusive relationship a lot of it is actually when you think about abusive relationships it's not all bad and ultimately that that survival victim loves still loves the person they originally met and throughout the relationship you'll have the highs and you'll have the lows and it becomes sort of an addiction really where you want to have that ups and downs and you know the lows are really low but the highs are brilliant they're amazing you know the person that you met and fell in love with is that person you're seeing again so when you do leave the relationship and you have your abuser or perpetrator on the phone saying they're going to change that they love you you know things will be different if you come back they'll get help you know they may have used excuses or blamed you know alcohol substances uh, mental health you know a difficult childhood they'll say they go and get the support around anything you need and because you want to believe them because you love them you go back um, and then very quickly usually things start reverting back to what they were previously and slowly the different ways of behavior and how they treat you come back into it so it is extremely difficult because you're talking about leaving everything you know potentially you're going into a refuge where a lot of the time it's communal living so you're living with people that you're not you don't know if you have children, they're living in the same bedroom as you, but you're using communal areas and sharing with other families. So, you know, at that point, it is very difficult to leave your home or your belongings, your family network potentially that you may have or friends around you or the schools for your children. That's another thing you've got to take into consideration. Yes. So when you've got them saying that they want you back and actually, you know, the situation you are isn't isn't ideal. It's, it's easy to believe what they're saying and go back to that relationship because you want to believe them as well. And one of the most important things, just whilst you're talking, is when someone's left and then they've gone back, is there a sense of guilt or shame in leaving again? Does that make it harder the second yeah. or third time? Yeah, it does. And I think this is the thing. I think especially, you know, if at the beginning you're relying on friends and family and because you keep going back time and time again, it's very difficult for your friends and family to understand why you keep going back. And obviously it is the cycle. It's the cycle of abuse that they're going through. And like you said, it can take up to seven times them to recognize actually they're not going to change. The behavior isn't your fault because you, you sometimes think because you're being told by the abuser that this is your fault. You're doing this. You're making them behave that way. It's actually getting to that point where you're thinking, no, this is not acceptable. I'm not having this. This is abusive and I'm going to be better off away from this relationship. But like you say, it can take a very long time to get to that. And your friends and family's patience may have ended before that actually happens because they keep thinking, well, why do you keep going back? That's also why I'm so grateful for you coming on this show, because it's not just about the support for anyone who is going through the horrendous experience of domestic abuse, but actually about making this clear to friends and family. It is not easy. And by being able to understand this in some small way, that can just help keep that door open a little bit more. Does abuse differ for men? So, so is it different for a man when you compare it to abuse of a woman? 
I think a lot of the abuse is very similar. Obviously, the emotional, the mental, the coercive control and behaviour can be there. I think with women more than men, um, the type of abuse they experience can be obviously more severe in the physical sense and lead to death um, and domestic homicide more than it can um, with female to male obviously like you said it does happen men are killed by their female partners or ex-partners but it's usually um the other way around obviously you said two women a week are killed so it is but it does happen to men just to reiterate that um so the type of abuse that women experience will be um more of a, a physical nature and will potentially result in domestic homicide more than it will with men oh gosh how would you advise men that find themselves being abused, but maybe maybe they're even questioning it or they don't want to say anything because that's not what men do. It's that sort of critical voice that we have in our head. What might you say to them? I'd say help is available. You know, domestic abuse can happen to anyone. And I think it's just being aware that even if you're not in the position where you think you want to do anything about it, talking to a professional, talking to someone out there and getting your getting knowledge and advice, obviously giving you your options is always the way forward. Uh, there is a, a mankind, um, they offer an advice line, which men can call if they prefer to speak to a service for men, particularly. So that's another agency that's out there to support men, um, where and if they would like to go support and their number is 0808-801-0327. Brilliant, and I'll pop that on the Facebook page as well. Now, one question which, sometimes people maybe have at the back of their mind do the courts always have to be involved in settling a domestic abuse situation no no a lot of the time um you that uh, victims won't actually go to court because they don't want to um obviously that's to do with the love they might still have for their perpetrator they're frightened of what will happen if they do go to court because they've been threatened throughout their relationship also the fact they just want to get on with their lives and want to make themselves feel better they want to get their self-worth and their self-esteem back so courts potentially are not involved in a lot of majority of cases a lot of the time courts will be involved if there is children in a family unit and there is concerns about the children due to the abuse or due to what they might witness but i think a lot of the time courts aren't involved i think it's just about getting that victim to safety and supporting them as best as you can to rebuild their lives really Yes, absolutely. Um, and do they have access to therapy via yourselves as well? Yeah, we offer counselling. So we have a counsellor that comes in and does it for them. But we also do a lot of trauma informed work with um, victims. So they have support sessions with us on a regular basis, obviously in refuge. It's sometimes daily at the start and then it goes to weekly when a lot of their crisis needs have been sort of um, looked at and we've put in place a, a plan to help and support them uh, but then we do a lot of work around what they've experienced the trauma that they've been through how that's impacted on them and also what we can do then to support them to go forward with that but counseling is obviously another thing that we do offer fantastic so how might we be able to find you or contact you for support so our website is ndas.co uh, we're also our advice line which is 24 hours advice line um, it's 03000 120154. Uh, we're on Facebook, which is endas.co. So if you can't um, ring or you can't get onto a website, you can Facebook Messenger us as well. So we can offer advice through that, that, that arena as well. And we're also on Twitter, which is at NorthAntsDAS. So we are quite a few different media platforms, which has obviously come about from the lockdown as well, which gives um, survivors an, an, another way to contact us if they couldn't use the phone. That's amazing. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, Natrice. I've learned so much and it's just wonderful to hear that this service is there and how much you offer others. So thank you. Thanks for having me. 
I'm joined now by Daria Yildirim, a domestic violence worker, to tell us a little bit more. Welcome to the lounge, Daria. Hi, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you so much for being here, especially to share your knowledge on such an important topic, especially for this time of year. Yes. So, Daria, is it possible for abusers to change? I used to volunteer to co-facilitate domestic violence intervention program for men who were abusive to their partners. We were undertaking a project to assess the program, how effective it was. During that time, they monitored perpetrators' change. First of all, to attend this program, you need to accept that you are abusive. Because if you are in denial, then you are not really qualified for that intervention program. So during that time, it's based on a cognitive behavior therapy. Mm -hmm. Because there's a belief system of that male privilege, uh, being a man, the framework, and how they feel in a society as a man, toxic masculinity, their uh, relationship with their partners and their children, how they see them how they can uh, control their aggressive behavior. There are tools offered. So that thought process, inner talk, was cha- try, they try to change with a more positive talk. Yes. And um, breathing techniques of like breathing, counting up to 10, how they feel after, uh, creating empathy and compassion in relationship because majority of them was lacking empathy and compassion, uh, uh, compassion towards their partners, wives, and children also. Uh, they were self-indulgent. They didn't think about others but themselves. Mm. Their experience based on their feelings and their entitlements. Mm. And uh, then uh, they, what they were trying to do, how they relate to others, how their uh, abusive behavior affect others, including uh, others in the society, because usually uh, how they contact themselves in a society has a ripple effect as well from start from the family to the external in the society. Mm. There was a, a reduction in significant reduction in uh, physical abuse and sexual violence. Great. And not so much reduction in abuse. Um, so physical violence reduced to verbal abuse. Right. Uh, but verbal abuse and controlling behavior without violence always was present. They ask their reflections on how their children were affected. Before, they didn't have any insight and reflection on that. Even though after the change, their reflections wasn't um, as detailed as female the victims of Mm. domestic violence that's fascinating because what you're saying is the the victim the the person going through it can really see how everybody else around them is also affected but actually and this could relate to the causes from what you're saying as well is that the person perpetrating it has a much more limited uh, mindset Yes, that's that's fascinating. And that speaks a lot to what sort of therapy and what sort of intervention may be helpful. How would you suggest a domestic abuse survivor 
starts rebuilding their confidence. It is a very long process. First of all, they need to give consent to us. After their consent, we do assessment. Practical needs we need to address first, their safety, reducing the risk of violence. Uh, obviously, there's issues around homelessness. Uh, there's a legal aspect to it, is a, a way of protecting the safety. So we can dive, uh, direct them to uh, legal services, solicitors to get non-molestation orders, and also income. So majority of the women, they don't have access to the income because financial abuse is part of their uh, life. Once they are safe and secure in a place, then we start addressing other issues, the emotional health. In your experience, have there been positive outcomes? Yes, of course. Clients, they come back to me to tell me what they did, what they achieved. I have one, she started trained as a teacher. Wow. And other one, we managed to uh, remove the perpetrator from her home. Now she's going to college. And oh. she's getting divorced now. Mm-hmm. She feels safe. That's that's really wonderful, heartwarming to hear. So what can we do if we're worried about a family member or friend? Not only family, friends, your neighbours and uh, people on the street, they see the abuse. Mm. So instead of intervening physical, you can call the police, give the description, the street, etc. Nobody knows that you call the police. The main thing is to safety of the people and children in the household. If, it, if she's your close friend, you listen to her. I mean, you can say there's help available out there. You know, you can call the police. You can ask help from other agencies. There's a telephone numbers available. Yeah. Sometimes we are not very patient with our friends. We listen, we give advice. But if they don't listen to us, we get annoyed. Mm. We shouldn't be annoyed yes. if they are not ready. If the children are involved, definitely uh, inform them uh, children's services. So... What would you say in that case are the key ingredients of a healthy relationship? You know, all the domestic violence approach is based on Duluth model and they come with a wheel of violence and then they developed a wheel of equality. Equality is the center of the healthy relationship. So the violence, that is like a, it's like a yin and yang, power and control. The opposite of this what is equal relationship, health relationship? That is based on equality. It's about consent, intimacy, assertive communication, and also you support that person in their decision-making process and their personal growth. And also respecting each other's independence. Yeah. He doesn't complete you or you don't complete him. So yeah. you cannot force anyone to be in that relationship if it is not working. Yes, And I uh, noticed that sometimes relationship becomes like a hostage situations. One wants to leave and another doesn't want to let go. And that is the problem uh, starts. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, there's boundaries, relationship based on boundaries with respect, equality, acceptance, negotiation and fairness. Daria, thank you so much. This has been so enlightening. It really has been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all we have time for. But do check out some of the earlier episodes for 10 Minutes on My Couch with more practical tips or else my YouTube channel, Dr. Dutang Tools to Thrive. And you can catch more guest experts on my radio show on NLive Radio, which is the Wellbeing Lounge, Tuesday nights at 9 p.m.